If you have your Bibles, you want to open up to Matthew chapter 12. We're going through the Gospel of Matthew, and we're in chapter 12, and we're going to look at 22 uh, through 37, focusing in on speech. As we do, I want you to think about when uh, maybe the last time you experienced something like this, but uh, a while back we were going to have, it was going to be family movie night, and have big fun, and uh, dad was going to pick out the movie, and I wanted to start introducing our children into, you know, some of the great uh, things that I loved as a kid. So for this movie night, sorry, we're going to pick out one of my favorite movies as a kid was American Tale. So the Steven Spielberg you know, animated film about Fievel Mouskowitz, whose uh, his family is fleeing the wicked cats in Russia, and then he gets lost on the boat, and then you know this tale of discovering America and getting reunited to your family. And it was one of my favorite movies as a kid, so I was so excited to introduce my children to this movie. And we get about 20 minutes in, like into the storm session where he gets separated from his parents and he's afraid, and then we look over and three out of the four kids, I mean, their chins are just quivering and they're holding it back. And then, of course, you know, Cynthia's the empathetic one. She goes, oh, come here. And then they all just come completely undone and start crying like, I don't ever want to go to America. Don't ever leave us. We're, we're going to be lost. And they just completely undone. It's like, and she's like, oh, great. You know, good choice, Dad. You know, family movie night turns into call the trauma counselors because... I think, man, like, no, no, just give it a chance. It gets better. Just give it a chance. And when you're watching something through the perspective of like a four-year-old, it kind of will change the way you see it. Or you're watching something through the perspective of a parent, it'll change the way you see it. I don't know if you had the experience where there's something you loved as, as a child, and then you go back and you watch that movie and you think, huh, has that always been there? I don't remember that. Or maybe you've nearly ruined a family event because you said, oh, let's watch this show. My friends love it. And then you turn it on and you realize, oh, this isn't quite as funny with grandma in the room as it is with my college roommates in the room. So now you're just seeing things from a different perspective and it changes your, uh, the way you view it. And that's one of the things this passage is talking about, how we begin to see things with new eyes, different perspective, and then what that then produces in us. We also had a similar experience. Our oldest daughter, Madeline, had this giant book of fairy tales that she just loved. And so we had a season where every night we would read through dozens of them. And uh, you start reading through the fairy tales and you think, wait, wait, or uh, nursery rhymes. <laughs> and you start thinking, wait, wait, like, is this what we want to talk, like this nursery rhyme is actually about a child coming tumbling out of a tree. Is that what we want to talk about? Like, this is actually about a bridge collapsing. Ashes, ashes, we all fall down. This is about children dying of a plague. Is that what we want to sing? And of course, the one you all know is just absurd and ridiculous. Is sticks and stones may break my bones, but words, they can never hurt me. And of course, only a three-year-old would think that's true. Because everyone older knows there are few things that can wound quite like words. Few things as powerful to bruise as your words. And you go through the Bible and you realize actually with our use of words, we're actually in possession of a weapon of mass destruction. 
So what do we do with our words? You know, even look at the book of Proverbs. It's so interesting. You know, it's all about wisdom. And under the umbrella of wisdom, the number one subject is how do we use our words? And so we find ourselves in Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 22. And so look at 22. Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and unable to speak was brought to him, and he healed him so that the man could both speak and see. And what we saw last week began to set up is this man actually represents what's happening in this man's story, that he's a victim of demonic oppression and it means he can't see and he can't speak, is actually a small microcosm of the grand story, the grand battle, the grand conflict that we're all in. Matthew chapter 12 is all about conflict. And this gives us a window into the ultimate cosmic conflict that everyone is engaged in. And what we're going to see here is we're all engaged in this great battle, battle between the forces of good and the forces of evil. And this is a battle more intense and more dramatic than any cosmic intergalactic confrontation between the empire and the rebellion. This is a battle between good and evil. And the primary battleground is with your words. The words you speak to others and the words you hear. And so let's look and kind of see how Jesus unpacks this. So all the crowds were astonished and said, could this be the son of David in verse 23? And when the Pharisees heard this, they said, this man drives out demons only by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. And knowing their thoughts, he told them, every kingdom divided against itself is headed for destruction. And no city or house divided against itself will stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by who do your sons drive them out? For this reason, they will be your judges. If I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. How can someone enter a strong man's house and steal his possessions unless he first ties them up? Then he can plunder his house house. Anyone who is not with me is against me, and anyone who does not gather with me scatters. We looked at that last week as a way of changing how we see. How do we perceive the world? That's the heart of that section. Uh, The man was blind physically, and they're all blind spiritually. And it's about how you see and perceive. And now we're moving. What does that result in? Your speech. So listen to all the speech language. Therefore, I tell you, people, when, uh, therefore, I tell you, people will be forgiven every sin and blasphemy, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or the age to come. Either make the tree good and its fruit will be good, or make the tree bad and its fruit will be bad, for a tree is known by its fruits. Brood of vipers, how can you speak good things when you are evil? For the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. A good person produces good fruit from his storeroom of good, and an evil person produces evil things from his storeroom of evil. I tell you that on the day of judgment, people will have to account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned." So the primary battleground, and we're going to see, between good and evil is with our words. And one of the biblical challenges about how we think about words is, on the one hand, words can be hollow. So you'll hear like all throughout James and then 1 John, it's don't love in word only, but in deed and in truth. So sometimes words can be hollow. 
But here the real danger of words is that the words actually reveal. They're a revelation of what's in the heart. They're a fruit. So a couple big things that we're just going to skate over, um, you know, this question about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. You know, what is that? Um, uh, I was reading through the Gospel of Matthew one time with a person who had never read the Bible before. And I was uh, so, so wonderful when we came to this passage. They saw, Jesus just says there's a sin you cannot be forgiven of. Tell me what that is so I make sure I don't ever do it. And so you think, all right, well, what is this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? You know, I think it's a knowing and intentional, sustained, enduring opposition to the work of the Lord. Not a careless act, but a hardened state. So if it's something you're afraid of, then that's a really good sign. It means you probably haven't committed it. But that's a big, you know, kind of part of this passage. Another big thing is like, what does Jesus mean between good and evil? What does he mean about judgment and how our words are going to impact our judgment, uh, the way we're judged? Is this saying there's a certain way that we can be saved, you know, not by grace, but by the words we speak? And so we're going to come back to those in, in several weeks because Jesus is going to talk about those things uh, many times in the next couple of chapters. But what I want to do for this morning is just take that controlling metaphor that Jesus used, that make the tree good and its fruit will be good, or a tree is evil and its fruit is evil. He gives us the metaphor that we all are like trees and our words are our fruit. So just kind of take that, what I want to do this morning is just take that controlling metaphor of think about your words like fruit. So, you know, the FDA says, you know, recommends Two to four servings, maybe more, two to four servings of fruit every day. But you think about, all right, if our words are fruit, you actually are consuming thousands of servings of lyrical fruit. So what type of fruit are you consuming? So just a couple of things I want us to see. All right, if our words are like fruit, let's think first about right, just what they do. Uh, what does that kind of verbal fruit fuel in us? So the first thing I want us to see is that it fuels a couple different things. It fuels us personally, kind of internally. It fuels us relationally, and it fuels us Socially, So what does it do? You know, words, they're so powerful. And just think about it. I mean, why do we know that nursery rhyme is absurd, that sticks and stones can break our bones, but words can't hurt us? Why is it that actually words can either hurt or heal us in a way like nothing else can? So let's think about it. their power, their power to give life, their power to kill. You know, healthy words can give health and vitality. But think about poisonous words. You know, you eat rotten fruit, it at best will make you sick. But if you eat poisonous fruit, it can kill you. It will kill you. So words, they can, they can make you sick. They can make you healthy. They can kill, they can bring life. But what different areas do they do that to? Just think about how they work personally. You know, one of the things that make them so powerful is because words don't stay on the exterior. Somehow they get into you. They get into you and they live. They can live in you. You know, how many of you think through and you, you dwell on conversations maybe that you had at work and then you get home and for the next two days you just think about what you wish you would have said? You know, this dwells in you. It lives. And then also I was thinking about this week for an MCO talk just about the power of identity and how few things are as powerful 
powerful as the names we take, the names that kind of get into us and we, we, we try and live out. You know, one of the most powerful forces in your life are, is the, are the names that you take upon yourself. Whether it's some type of like diagnostic name, like I am depressed, I am, I have, you know, ADHD, or whether it's some type of characteristic that you've taken upon yourself, you know, I'm the, I'm the stupid one of the family, I'm the this, the way we take upon these names. You know, it's interesting, whenever God, often in the Bible, when God transforms someone, he transforms their name, and their name is often rooted in the role they're going to play in bringing about his kingdom. So Abraham becomes the father You know, Jacob becomes Israel, the ones who are going to wrestle with God. Jesus is God saves. Peter is a rock that he's going to build. But this powerful way that words enter into us and they begin to form and shape uh, our identity and, and shape us personally. But then you know how names just are, or words just work relationally. I mean, in large measure, your relational health will be dependent on the quality, the content uh, of the words that you use. In Proverbs 16, 28, a dishonest man spreads strife and a whisperer separates close friends. So, you know, these words, these whispering words can come in and they can breathe. They can be rotten words that then cause disease among people and among relationships. Few things are as powerful for the health of relationships as the word we use. But also think not just relationships specifically, like the physical, tangible relationships with the people you love and know. Just think about our broad social context and the way poisonous, toxic words can destroy a community. I mean, you've seen in California this past week, you you pour oil, you just start spewing oil out somewhere and people will rally and go to incredible measures to clean it up because they recognize how toxic it can be. But actually we have spigots that are going nonstop, just flooding communities with poisonous speech and nobody seems too concerned to shut it off. Maybe one of the reasons is you can make a lot of money by toxic speech spewing out. But think about just socially the way, I mean, in, do you realize, I was thinking about this just on Friday, about how much of my life I am utterly dependent on trusting other people. And if you spew deceptive, poisonous, twisted words, it just erodes trust. Just the simple fact that we get in the car and I drive my family to the bank We're driving on the road, and I am entrusting the most precious realities in my life to you that you other drivers are going to obey the laws of the street and keep your car in your lane and stop when the light's red. Because if you don't, you're actually endangering. I I have to trust you, or we can't go anywhere. Or I go to the bank and I make my deposit and I have to trust that they are going to hold that money safely and securely and it's going to be there when I need it. And then we stop at a restaurant on the way home and I have to trust that they have done all of the things necessary to, to not poison the food. I mean, my whole life is just filled with needing to trust. 
and toxic words can erode at that. And so what we see here is how important this fruit is. The fruit of our words is so important to us personally. It's so important to us relationally. It's so important to a health of a society and community. But what we see here is that Jesus says, you know, the power of these words is notice where they flow from. They flow out of your heart. They flow internally and then flow out. And so these different types, there's words that can bring life. There's words that can bring death. So let's think about the second thing. All right, what type of words do we need? If certain words bring life, certain words bring death, some fruit is good and brings health and vitality, and some fruit is poisonous and will bring sickness and death, what type of words do we actually need? And this is something maybe we've... Uh, done this in different contexts before, but one little help, helpful acronym that I like to use is just think about words. You need words that are TLC. TLC words. So if you need vitamin C for health, you need uh, verbal vitamin C and vitamin T and vitamin L. And each one of those has a, a opposite, something that you can contrast it with that will either bring sickness or bring death. So first, what type of words do we need? We need true words. We need words that are true. But here, you know, we live off words or two, just like you have to be able to trust what people say. You will not live. The words you need are words that correspond to reality. They have to be true. But as I was thinking about this week, what's the opposite of true words? How can words be poisoned so they're no longer true? And of course, false words False words bring death. If you believe things that are lies, if you spread lies, false words bring death. But there's another type of words that maybe technically could be counted as true, but they don't contribute to health. And you don't think the opposite of true words is maybe deceptive words. You go through, especially Proverbs, one of the key concepts is that the Lord hates words that are crooked. So they're not clear, they're not straight, they're crooked, they're deceptive. They're trying to get you to turn and look in a way where you shouldn't see poisonous words. They can be false. They can also be deceptive. You know, I've told this story before, but when uh, my youngest sister, who's about 16 years younger than I am, and one of the first times my parents were going to go away for uh, several days, and I was, I was about 19 or 20, and I was in charge of all the siblings, and you know, so I was planning a big, you know, just celebration filled with uh, late night movies and nonstop popcorn and Pop-Tarts. And, uh, you know, my parents didn't care. Just keep them alive. Just don't, when we get back, don't have the house burned down and the kids are still alive. And our one primary request, like with the five-year-old, and I've come to discover all five-year-olds hate brushing their teeth. I don't know why. I don't know if there's some type of like toxic thing that they, I don't know. They all hate this. And said, so just make sure Johanna brushes her teeth every night. All right, got it. I, I think I, I'm up for this challenge. Don't burn down the house. Brush teeth every night. Got it. And so it's like, you know, second or third night in, well, you know, it's late. We're having some popcorn. I say, ah, before we start the next movie, have you brushed your teeth? And she kind of thought for a second. And then I saw a little light bulb go off. And she smiled. And she said, yes, I have. And then she kind of sauntered back into her bedroom. Now, it took me a moment, not super quick, but then thought, hmm, 
I think I'm being conned by a five-year-old. Have you brushed your teeth today? Ah, no. So, I mean, what she said, have you brushed your teeth? That is technically true. But does that kind of get us where we want to go as a place of flourishing as a family? Uh, No. And so you need words that are not only true, they're true in their fullest sense. They're not deceptive. They're not flattering, but they're, they're true. But we also need words that are loving, you know, loving words. Proverbs 15, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a, a harsh answer stirs up anger. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue breaks the spirit. With patience, a ruler may be persuaded, and a soft tongue can even break a bone. So something about loving, gentle, loving speech. And this is the real challenge, because one of the challenges that Jesus says about our words is your words reveal what's in the heart. Your words reveal the real you. But then here's the question, which words? So what words are revealing the real me? Is it the words that I've carefully constructed and crafted and curated and prepare as my stump speech? Or is it the words that come exploding out in moments of anger? Moments of disappointment, moments of frustration. Which words reveal the real me? What's really being revealed here? What are you loving? So in that moment where something happens and you you get so angry because something has happened and you say, how dare you? And you just want to get even. What are you loving at that moment? Are you really loving your own reputation? Are you really loving being right? Are you really loving the fact that maybe there has been an injustice that's been committed? Or maybe words come out where uh, in a bind you realize at work that you've dropped a couple, of, uh, a couple of balls and let a couple of plates come crashing down and then somebody asks you about it and you, you start to defend yourself. Oh, yeah, oh, I haven't gotten to it yet. And you start to spin the excuses about, you know, I had a flat tire and the cat ate my favorite socks and it's just been a hard week. And you start spinning things. And then what are you fearing in that moment? What are you loving? Loving them? Loving you? You know, how do you, you know, words can reveal. That's a great challenge. What is this? Who's the real me? Who is it revealing? You know, we all see it where you kind of have the politician who has all of the, you know, carefully curated words. And then you hear some recording of them like in, you know, where they are unguarded. And then we all assume like this is a false you, but this is the real them. But then think about your own life. Would you like to be judged by the worst things that you say? What's the real me? What do they reveal? Like what we need is words that are loving at the very deepest level where even with my children, when I'm disciplining them, I'm not disciplining them because I'm embarrassed or because I'm angry or because I don't want to be aggravated. I'm coming from a true, genuine love for their own well-being. What are we loving? We need loving words. But then think about what's the poisonous offshoot You know, one love hate. You think hate, hateful words bring destruction. But I wonder if maybe indifferent words, apathetic words, I wonder if those aren't more poisonous to relationships. We need loving words, vitamin L, but we also need correct words. And what I mean here by correct is what I really mean is appropriate. 
but kind of TLA didn't have the same smoothness as TLC. So what I mean by correct is you think, all right, it's, it's appropriate, it's apt, it comes at the right moment. Uh, Proverbs 18, 13, if one gives an answer before he hears, it's to his folly and his shame. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold that have been set in silver. You know, you can say the right words, but you say them in the wrong way and they don't help. You can say the right words at the wrong time and they don't help. You know, so, so much is not just what you say, it's when and how you say it. And there has to be a, a correctness. It has to be appropriate. You know, like, um, you know, just for example, hypothetical. Let's say uh, someone in your family, um, they're, they're running late, they're rushed, they're, they're racing to try and maybe get the kids to school. And then there's all types of traffic, and then they come home and they're frustrated because the kids were late, we were sitting in traffic. You know, you could say something like, well, you just need to leave earlier. I mean, that could be the true thing that's said, but that might not be the appropriate word that's needed at the moment. And so we know words have to be correct in their timing, also correct in their application. One of the interesting things about the book of Job is so many of the things that the friends say to Job are technically true. They're right. They just don't apply to Job. And God says, you have not spoken rightly about me. Because they don't apply. They're not correct. Now, you look at this. Do you see how hard this is? Like, you see how hard it is? Like, if you give, you know, vitamin L to someone without vitamin T, you don't help them. Loving words that are not true are not going to be helpful. But if you give true words that aren't loving, that's not going to be helpful either. So in one sense, you know, we're dying because we are so verbally vitamined, malnourished, I mean, we are not giving the kind of words we need to live, and we're not sending out. We're not, we're not giving, and we're not getting the kind of words that we need to, to give. You know, we're dying because we're not getting these. And we're spreading death because we're not speaking these. I mean, if there's anything we can agree on about our current cultural context is that we live in a verbally toxic world. We can resonate with Isaiah that says, woe is me. We are men and women of unclean lips, and we live among men and women of unclean lips. You know, in one sense, we're all living the Snow White tale. There's wicked witches everywhere who are serving up poisonous apples, wanting us to take a bite. And so what do we do? Because you know that the health and the poisonous nature, or, you know, poison fruit, it's not a one-to-one Symmetry. They're not, you know, symmetrical. You know, like, I don't know how people gauge these things because it just seems ridiculous to me. But certain social psychologists will say for every five encouraging words you hear, or you need, you need five encouraging words to balance out every negative word. And that just sounds so mechanical and ridiculous to me because it completely depends on who's saying that negative word and what they're saying and what the five positive words are. You can't balance out poison and vitamins that way. One bite of a poisonous apple can kill you. And thousands, you know, it, 
one bite of poison can overcome thousands of bites of healthy things. One negative word from the right person can negate a thousand positive words from other people. So where do we go to find life? How can our words be healed so that we can experience the healing? You know, if we don't get these, we're dying. But Jesus says, look, it's flowing out of your heart. You know, it's not a checklist where you say, all right, here's the five words that I have to say, words of encouragement, words of affirmation, words of these. It's you have to have a heart change. And out of the heart, it'll flow. So where do we go? If, if it's true that one word of death can overcome thousands of words of life, is it possible for one word of life spoken for the right person at the right time can overcome thousands of words of death? You think, all right, where can a word that powerful be found? And we remember that in the beginning was the word. And there is some who not just gives words, but is words. And with his word is a word that is more powerful than any other word. And the powerful gospel word that he speaks can actually fill all of our vitamin needs. He, the gospel can come with words that are so deeply, profoundly true. And they tell us hard things. They tell us in one sense we're far worse than we would ever dare to admit that we are a sinner and there is nothing good that dwells in us and we have been poisoned and we have been spreading poison. It tells us the truth about who we really are. But then the beauty is it comes with the loving words that even though we're far worse than we ever could imagine, we've been loved far more deeply and far more profoundly than we would ever dare dream. And we can go to places like we were looking at our men's Bible study this week and 1 John 4 was this overwhelming kind of flood of how the Lord has loved us. And it's not just something God does. It's something he is, that he is loved. It's a part of his essence and who he is as he lavishes it upon us by sending his own son to die in our place and to redeem us. He pours out words that are not only true, but are loving. And then words that are not only appropriate, they, they not only um, are correct words, they make us correct. They make us right. They transform the heart. So we are now given a new heart and the hard, evil heart of stone is taken out and a heart is, uh, we've been given a heart transplant. So we become correct. And then what they do is that they then enter into us. We experience a love like his, truth like his, and then it flows out from us. And internally, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks and our hearts are transformed. And then relationally, we begin to become the type of people who become fountains of life. And our words are life-giving. Living water begins to flow out of us. And then it happens where you transform societies because more and more people are speaking words of life. That's why when the Holy Spirit was poured out on his people in Acts chapter 2, the first thing, it came as tongues of fire and it transformed their speech. 
And even in this passage, this is a hard passage we read, but even in that we see Jesus' remarkable ability to say truthful words in a loving way at the exact appropriate time. You know, you read through these different things and he's hard on them. These are hard words. I mean, I don't know if you've ever called someone a brood of vipers. That might not be the kind of thing that's going to win you, win you praise from your coworkers. You think, all right, brood of vipers. Why is he calling that brood of vipers? Because it's, it's a phrase because the vipers would devour their mother. So it's, you're, you're devouring the one who is, has brought you into this life. Calls them brood of vipers. But notice, even in these, these words that are hard, it, they're also filled with grace. Notice, he warns them about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which is the unforgivable sin. He doesn't accuse them of it. He warns them. He said, you are, you're walking down a very dangerous path of uh, accusing me of working by demonic power, what I'm actually doing by the Spirit of God, and that's uh, blasphemy of the Spirit. He doesn't accuse them. He warns them. And that's a loving thing to do. And then notice what he says in the verse Okay, we notice where he says, but every sin and blasphemy in verse 31 will be forgiven. Except this one. Every sin. I think, what a gracious word. Whoa, 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 every sin. Whoa, whoa. What about DUI? What about cheating on your history test? What about cheating on your wife? What about getting your girlfriend pregnant? What about an abortion? What about backbiting? What about adultery? What about lying under oath? What about loving money more than God? What about murder? What about this? Every sin will be forgiven. This saying is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance. Christ said, I came to forgive sinners. So where do we go to have our words healed and our words redeemed? We come to the one who gives us the kind of words we need so we can give others the words they need. We all know sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me is ridiculous. But what's not ridiculous, what's the deepest truth in all of life is that sticks and stones could not break his bones. And it is his words that will heal me. And every week at communion, we come into his presence and he offers us an invitation to come, hear my word, feast on it, taste and see that I'm good. The way your body is healed is it's healed from the inside out. That's why you take in, take in the fruit that that symbolizes my shed blood so you can give out the fruit of life-giving words. So on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this bread represents my body broken for you. Take and do this in remembrance of me. Then he took the cup. He said, this cup represents the blood of my blood shed for you. The blood of the new covenant. And notice the symbolism. This is the fruit of the vine that we, we take in the fruit of his sacrifice so our words can be transformed into a fruit to get the fruit of life. So take in remembrance of him. So Lord, we praise you for your, the tremendous gift of your word. We confess now that we often are people who use our words to, to deceive, to manipulate, to, uh, to not bring life. And we confess that and we ask that you help us. Help us to be the kind of people who spread life with their word. We confess that we live among a people where there's so much just poisonous speech. So in any way we can, we ask that you help us not to contribute to the flood, 
but help us. We thank you for sending your son to die for us, to renew us and transform us. So I pray for anyone here this morning who they know full well the powerful force of hard, harsh, unloving words. I pray that you would protect them from dwelling on them. We pray that the truth of your gospel would become the truest, strongest words that they would live and know, that they would be the words that would richly dwell in them and bring out life and not the words of accusation or condemnation. We thank you for words that are not only true, but words that are loving. We pray that you help us be the kind of people who receive loving words, but also give them even when they're difficult. And we thank you for correct words, words at the exact moment when we need. So pray for everyone in this room. You've promised to give us the grace we need at the time we need. And so we all need a different word, word of promise, word of hope, word of challenge. So we pray that you would speak those to us today. This we ask in Christ's holy name. Amen. And now may the love of a dying Savior, the power of a risen Savior, and the hope of a returning Savior be yours now, this week, forever, and always. Amen. Go in peace.